Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortellini's podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, here today with another uh, really exciting episode for your favorite podcast on all things Portuguese football. And we have a very intriguing guest for you today. Uh, over the past few weeks, we have been, you know, getting fans of different teams of Portuguese clubs, uh, different Portuguese clubs such as Gil Vicente, such as Aruca, Famalica, Boa Vista. Uh, today we've got something a bit different for you today. We've got a commentator, one of my favorite commentators on Portuguese football, joins us from Dublin, Ireland, uh, and it is Con Murphy. How are you, dude? How are you today, Con? Good, Zach. Yeah, thanks a million for for asking me on. It's, uh, I'm actually honoured to be on the uh, podcast because I have to say the work that you do um, covering the Primera Liga is absolutely phenomenal. You're, um, you know, picking out of players that we need to keep an eye on. Um, your knowledge of the game there is is absolutely fantastic. So it's great to chat with you. Thank you so much. That, that really means a lot. Um, you know, a lot has happened since our last, since the last Cortellinish podcast, a lot has happened in Portuguese football. We do have a very intriguing matchup today uh, that we'll see Manchester City take on Sporting. Uh, so we'll see what happens to that. We'll discuss that on next week's episode, as well as you know some other results in Portuguese football. But uh, today we've got a lot to talk about, a lot of intriguing games uh, in the Primeira. And uh, really excited for for today's episode. So I was able to watch every every uh, match in this weekend, apart from uh, Portimonense Boa Vista, uh, which was a uh, which was at the same time as the Benfica Santa Clara match. But some some definitely some very intriguing mid table games. Uh, we saw Portimonense taking on Boa Vista, as I mentioned. Portimonense going up. Uh, one nothing in the 18th minute from Ricardo Matos. Uh, Boa Vista once again equalizing via Peter Musa, the Croatian striker who's uh, drawing a lot of headlines at the Estadio da Bessa. Um, and uh, he get, getting uh, Boa Vista a 1 1 draw at the Algarve. So, interest, interesting result. Um, Storiel Tondela. This was a this was an interesting match because uh, both both teams without a fullback. Storiel had a right back Carlos Soria suspended from a red card in the previous match. Neto Borges as well uh, getting sent off in the previous match. Um, I was also interested to see what happens with this because uh, the week prior to that in the game against Marichimo. Um, Francisco Geralds, the Estoril midfielder, right as he was about to take a corner kick, uh, a Marichimo fan threw a, a pack of uh, tremosos, I believe, which are lupin beans. Um, and he later jokingly complained on Twitter, like, why didn't you throw a mini beer uh, while you were <laughs> at it? And Estoril, being the marketing gods that they are, ended up having this brilliant social media campaign where you could get a... a uh, a, a bag of tremosos, a mini beer, I believe it was Sagres, a decent beer, all things considered, and um, and a ticket to the game between Estoril and Tondela. 
So if you did go to the game, if you did take advantage of that, good for you. Uh, and that you, was for five euro, by the way. Five it's euros. worth pointing that out, you know. Can you can you imagine an English club or like any other club doing that for for like ten euros? I mean, five yes. euros. But you're dead right. I mean, it was such a clever yeah. piece of marketing by the club to to get Chico Gerales into like a, a sort of a chiringuito type thing outside the ground <laughs> with the beer and the. I mean, five euros is what a deal. Um, yeah. And you know, it, I suppose they're they're doing their best to get people in and and, yeah. and behind the team after. Um, uh, after the COVID break and uh, well you know they got the result I don't know if they got the crowd that they would have been looking for but um, the one nil win was a, a an important one for them and I mean it was very close to a, a third nil nil draw in a row for Estoril I mean they're and you'll have to excuse my pronunciation <laughs> of Estoril I know yours is better than mine but um, their defense has been the I think the key for them this season you know they've only conceded uh, one goal I think it is in their last four matches and I was just looking up their goalkeeper Danny Figuera um, in 15 appearances he's kept six clean sheets and eight times he's only conceded one goal so defensively they have been really solid and I think that's been the key um, for Estoril and you know um, albeit it took an 86 minute winner from Arthur Gomes but um, that's a big three points for them you know seventh in the table that's I wouldn't have expected them to be seventh at this point in the season you know but they're doing really well let's let's talk about that Estoril side for for a second a little bit more because you know Estoril starting off the season with kind of vibes to similar vibes to that Famali Kao team of 2019-20 uh, you know, earning promotion and and doing fairly well, challenging at the top of the table, but sort of trailed trailed uh, hit a downturn in form, if you will, um, around December, uh, going mm-hmm. up against Famalicão, drawing two to two. That was the game that people, a lot of people, expected to be Bruno Pinheiro's final match at the club uh, due to interest from Besiktas. Bruno Pinheiro, though, ending ending up staying uh, at Estoril. Following match, Storio losing to Tondela in the Taça de Portugal, then losing to Mondorense in the league, losing to Porto, losing to Vitória de Guimarães, losing to Aruca, uh, as you mentioned, drawing to Passos de Ferreira, um, red card from Arthur in that match. Following match, another 0-0 draw, another red card from a Storio player, Carlos Soria, and taking on Tondela, trying to get revenge, uh, for the Plaza de Portugal elimination. And Arthur, the man who was uh, sent off against against Passos, coming in clutch in the 86th minute. I'm curious, what have you made of Estoril's mid-season form? Um, obviously, they have lost Chiquinho uh, in the in the January winter, January window yeah. to Wolves. But, uh, you know, what, what do you think, what have you made of their mid-season form? And, and going into uh, some really tough matches against Sporting, Boavista, Gil Vicente, Portimonense, and Benfica coming up over the next month. Um, you know, what What do you think is is going to happen with, with that team's results? Yeah, I think it is kind of important that they have that position in the table at the moment and the 30 points in the bag because, as you say, um, that's a tough run that they have coming up over the end of February into to March. Um, away to uh, sporting is obviously a game that they're not 
you know, expected to get anything out of. They're also away, as you say, to um, Benfica on the 19th of March. Um, and they've got a away match against Jubicent. We'll talk about Jubicent later on, but they're in a, a rich vein of form as well. So that's three really difficult away matches for Estoril coming up. Um, the home games, as you say, against Boavista and Porto Menens, they're the games that I suppose they'll be targeting um, as, as games to realistically uh, pick up points. But that run that you were talking about, the uh, the run of uh, defeats, which was pretty scary, I think, for Estoril fans. You know, five uh, losses in a row before those two nil-all draws. They, they seem to have steadied the ship a little bit. Um, and, and the point I was making about that defensive solidity, even if they're only drawing nil-nil, at least they're not conceding goals. Um, and that's obviously so important in terms of clocking up points here and there. Um, so with 30 points in the bag, I, th- I think... Obviously, they're they're doing better than than I think many um, supporters would have anticipated at this point. You know, just past the midway point, um, and if they can keep you know gaining points at home, um, I think they're going to be okay. You know, of the promoted teams, obviously um, they're they're looking the most solid, and I think they will probably be okay. Um, Tondela, uh, on the other hand, you know, three defeats in their last four matches, and they're going in the wrong direction. Um, but, but I think from Estoril's point of view, um, you'd have to say, you know, it's job well done so far. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, in Estoril's case, defense may not win championships. It may not clinch European qualification, but a seventh place finish is pretty darn good oh. uh, in your first top flight campaign in quite a few years so that has to be the target for them you know this season it was all about just maintaining their position in the division um any anything better than that obviously would be super bonus but i don't think you know even you know fifth place i i think that's well beyond them but if they finish mid-table this season they can you know reflect on a campaign that's been very successful yeah, and I mean, like the song goes, you know, don't go chasing waterfalls, right? Don't <laughs> don't chew off more, you know. I remember just a few uh, months ago, my, my dad, he's a Brentford fan. He was saying, oh, Brentford, we're doing so well. You know, we should be challenging for European football. We're going to be really good. I'm like, hold on a minute, Pop. You know, there's still a lot of football left to be played. And now we're in February. Brentford looking like they could be dragged into a relegation fight. So, yeah, uh, you know, for a team that's in the top flight for the first season, at the 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 only goal really has to be staying in there. Um, yeah. And anything else is just a bonus, to be honest. Yeah. I, I mean, if they stay in the top division, which I, I think they will, yeah. Um, you know, then it is a question of looking at the squad and seeing are there two or three key positions that they can improve on for next season to. Yeah to try and push maybe for a, a fifth place finish or something like that. You know, with the Europa Conference League now, that's a, a target maybe for um, some clubs that mightn't have had the possibility of European football otherwise. Um, but really, I think that's, you know, leave the waterfalls for the moment and, and just concentrate on on staying in the division. And so far, you know, um, they're doing okay. And, and there's a, 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 an Irish footballer, a guy who used to be an international here, um, called Joey O'Brien, who played in England for West Ham before he came back to play in Ireland. And Joey O'Brien's saying was that uh, clean sheets win leagues. Now, he was talking about teams who'd be challenging for the top of the table. But in this case, clean sheets 
confirm survival, you know, and that's if they can keep defensively solid, Esther Wheeler are going to be fine. Right. And that's something that, you know, we, we forget, right? Talking about Estoril at the start of the season, even last season when they're making that run right to the uh, Tasa de Portugal uh, semifinals, right? We're talking a lot about this free-flowing attack. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the platform that the Estoril side is based on is, is, is that solid defense, right? You can't, uh, you, you can't, you know, underestimate that importance. You know, seventh place in the table, I, I think they will be okay. Don't think they will end up getting uh, European football, but I think they will finish top half. Um, I'm, I'm confident that they will stay up. Less confident about another promoted side in Aruca. Um, if you haven't yet, make sure you check out uh, the Cortelinias from two weeks ago where I, just, where I spoke with Aruca fan Fernando Gesend about his team's form and overall their their struggle their their uh story but Aruca since the start of December have lost to Santa Clara lost to fellow promoted side Vizela uh, drawn to Portimonense lost 6 nothing to Braga uh, lost to Belenenses side lost to Benfica their only win their only win since the start of December has been Connor Con uh, that's a six-mark question. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Who was it? Estoril. Coming uh, up against Estoril yeah. with, uh, yeah, Aruca beating Estoril um, on January 27th. That has been their only win since the start of December, followed up by a uh, scoreless draw against Malikao, a 2 nothing defeat against Porto, and a 3 nothing defeat against Maritimo. So, uh, I don't know about you, I, I watched the Aruca, this game on Monday between Aruca and Maritimo. Um, Aruca, 20 shots compared to Maritimo's nine. Uh, 66%, 66% possession compared to Maritimo's 34. But, um, you know, as that famous, I think it's Oscar Tabata's quote, goes you know i i spoke with that woman uh the entire night i paid for a drink uh and at the end of the day at the end of the night she went home with someone else you know i had (laughs) i had most of the possession what did it get me (laughs) and um that was that was the case with with this match i I pointed out before the aruka marichimo match that um that of the teams in portugal uh, Portugal's top flight. Aruca had the seventh uh, most possession um, with Benfica 64.4% at the top, Porto 64%, uh, Sporting 58%, Braga 54.7%, uh, Gil Vicente 53.7%, Vitoria de Guimarães and Aruca tied at 49%. So I would imagine mm-hmm. Aruca's uh, percent percent of possession per game has gone up uh, yeah and do you know what it's very interesting you say that because yeah. they have had possession i i um did their game recently against benfica and, and and they kind of impressed me on that night they made life difficult for benfica losing two nil in the end but it was a, a last minute goal uh, from gonzalo ramos which kind of sealed the deal for benfica in that match but the you know possession is great but if you can't put the ball in the back of the net you're going to struggle. And that's their problem. You know, they've only scored 19 goals all season. Um, 
and 41 conceded. So, you know, do the math, as they say, it's not good enough. Um, and I'd be worried. I would be really worried for Aruka. I know in the, in the game against Maritimo the other night, um, they had a great chance when it was early in the game, just before Maritimo scored, actually. Um, Andre Bukia hit the um, crossbar. It was just over the bar, actually. But um, it was a really good chance for him. And if they'd gone 1-0 up, you know, ifs and buts, of course, but you never know what might have happened. But suddenly, within a minute, Maritimo go down the other end, Ali Alipur with a, a great finish, and they're on their way to a 3-0 victory. So sometimes it can take a, you know, a, a turnaround of incidents like that in the space of 60 seconds to shape a match. Um, but Maritimo, you know, that's a great 3-0 win for them. That's a really good performance. Um, Ali Alipur scoring twice in that match. And I think that's six goals for him now this season, um, which, you know, he only scored twice in the entire campaign last season in, in 26 matches. So he's, you know, starting to get his shooting boots on. And I think maybe because Rodrigo Pino is gone now, there's a bit more responsibility on Ali Alipur and, and he's grabbing it. Certainly he took his two goals the other night really well. Um, and that was a solid three points uh, for them. But from Aruka's point of view, uh, I would be worried. I, I would be worried for them. You know, I, I I don't know if they have enough goals in them to stay up. I mean, it's probably a bit boring to suggest that Aruka and uh, Belenenses might be the uh, two teams to go down, given the fact that they're both in the relegation zone at the moment. But I would be concerned for Aruka. I don't know about you. Yeah, I I, I do agree with you. I think, I mean, you mentioned the Benfica game. Going back to October... Um, I was actually pretty impressed with the way that they came out and, and tried to play their style of football against sporting. Uh, it wasn't good enough for a point, but I was impressed with their performance against sporting. Um, but overall, there's just not that much individual quality, especially in the final third. Um, and I, I think there are some intriguing players to watch. I, I like the look of their left back, Mateus Quaresma. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting, actually. I saw you pointed that out on Twitter the other night, and I, he played very well that night against Benfica as well. I was, I was interested to see that you picked him out because he had a good game that night against Benfica as well. Yeah, I, I also think, I mean, Eboy Kouassi, there's there's some... I know you're Irish. I don't know if you're a Celtic fan, um, but I know he, he has... Ish. Played, <laughs> ish, okay, fair enough. Uh, Andre Bukia, I thought he did okay. A Congolese winger can be a little intriguing. But overall, this was complete domination from Marichimo. Um, Marichimo going ahead in the seventh minute from, as you mentioned, Ali Alipur, um, then getting a penalty later on, which uh, Joel Tego, the Cameroonian forward, his shot was saved by Victor Braga, uh, but converting on the rebound. Uh, and then... Marishmo going down to 10 men via a really clumsy uh, mm. challenge from Henrique, uh, which, which prompted the second yellow. And yet, uh, Aruka had uh, almost 40 minutes with an extra man, and they really failed to make anything of that. In fact, I thought that Marichimo, um were arguably better after, after the sending off. I mean, Aruka definitely had a lot more possession, but they just couldn't do anything with it. Marishmo, um, I think, really dangerous on the counter, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's something, I mean, looking at some of these players, Joel, Tago, and Alipur making a really intri- interesting strike pairing. Um, I thought that Alipur was the best 
player on the pitch. I've thought that his movement, his ability to manipulate the ball in, in tight spaces, that was really impressive. I also want to, you know, give a shout out to some of the midfielders, Stefano Beltrame with the pass for the first goal, I believe, um, mm-hmm. and Rafik Gitan, another player who I want to talk about. Um, and uh, looking at the centre-back du- duo, um, we saw Mateus Costa and Leo Andrade uh, filling in for the suspended Zainedine. Um, and I thought they did very well, honestly. And, and, and there's also Vitor Costa um, and Claudio Wink in the back line. But, and, and, and Paulo Victor in goal. Um, and Aruka really had no chance against them. Uh, looking at the likes of Andre Vidigal, I thought Vidigal did well off the bench. Uh, yeah. you got- he crossed for the, the third goal. It was a brilliant cross, actually. That was a very good cross. Bruno Chalas, you know, a, a guy who was being hyped up as one of the best, you know, up-and-coming talents in the league just a few years ago, coming off the bench. This, this team has a lot of quality. Um, one player I, I like a lot as well, Rafik Gitan. I mentioned him before. And, you know, before we move on to another match, I, I just want to give a little bit of, of credit to Vasco Siabra. Vasco taking over... Uh, for Julio Velasquez during the November international break and has really managed to steer the ship to calmer waters. Um, just a few months ago, this team was really in the thick of it, fighting relegation. Yeah. They've strung together some really impressive uh, wins against like the Passos, the Feira, Santa Clara, Vizela, Portimonense, Braga, um, and getting a 3 nothing win against Aruca, you know, what have you made of Vasco Siabra's impact so far at Marichmo? Oh, it's been phenomenal. I think he's done a brilliant job. I mean, when you look at their record, I think over the last um, seven matches, they've only lost one. Um, and that was 2-1 away to Porto, which is no disgrace at all. Um, but, you know, they've won away to Braga. Uh, they were very convincing winners, as we were talking there about uh, at Aruca. You know, to win away from home in the league by three goals against anybody is, is a really good performance. At home, um, you know, a couple of disappointing results in a way, draws against Belenenses and, and Estoril. But if you look at that record, you know, one defeat in seven matches and it's 2-1 away to Porto. I mean, that's great form. And, and that is why um, they're now in the top half. As you say, like early on in the campaign, people were, Maritimo were in trouble. You know, they were in serious trouble. And, you know, sometimes boards get criticism for replacing managers too quickly but actually in this case bringing in Vasco Seabra when they did um, has proved to be a bit of a masterstroke you know he's done a super job Um, now again they have some tricky matches coming up in the next few weeks Um, they're at home to uh, sporting in a couple of weeks time so that's going to be a difficult one but I think three of their next uh, four league matches are at home so if they can get their home form motoring um, you know they could be again just at least pushing for that fifth place and, and European football, which would have been unheard of a few weeks ago. Yeah, and as I said before, I mean, I think that really the one of the biggest players, what for me, the player who's improved the most from Siabra's appointment is Rafik Gitan, 22 years old, born in France to an Algerian father and a Moroccan mother, mm. um, and you know, spent some time developing in the famed Le Havre Academy. Uh, joined Rennes in 2018 for 10 million euros uh, or, and, and then 
went to Le Havre and Marichmo on loan, joined Rem um, mm. before going out on loan to Marichmo and has done really, really well uh, in Madeira. Any, any, any thoughts on Gitan's improvement so far? I saw him a couple of times uh, last season and he kind of, he looked like a tidy player, but his influence on the game wasn't massive. But he seems to be another one of these players who's kind of taken on extra responsibility this season and it's, and it's paying off. You can see he's playing really well. Um, and I don't know whether that's just age and maybe just maturing a bit um, or, or I don't. I, I can't explain, but I, I did admire him as a player when I saw him last season, but I just felt he could have had more influence on games. And that seems to be happening uh, this time around. And I mean, this, you could say the same. I mean, I was talking about Ali Ali Poor there scoring more goals this season. The same could be said for him. I don't know if you saw his celebration when he scored the second goal, well, the third goal of the game, his second goal. He came over to the side and he whipped off the jersey and then he whipped off the uh, the little black thing underneath that tracks their, I don't know what the uh, technical term for that is, but you know the little vesty thing that they wear under their jersey and he took that off as well and he kind of posed. And it just struck me that there's a confidence in him and I presume that's a confidence that, that's running through the team at the moment that just didn't seem to be there last season. Uh, I don't think he would have celebrated a goal like that last season. It's a small thing, but... You know, sometimes small things can can tell you a story. Um, so for sure, um, Maritimo um, under Vasco Seabra have been uber improved. And, you know, I love to see the teams from the islands doing well. Um, in Spain, my team are uh, Tenerife. Um, so again, you know, albeit they're now in the Segunda in Spain, but the sort of the underdogs from the islands, you know, I, I have a soft spot for them. So I like uh, Maritimo to do well, Santa Clara as well, and um, Nacional and all the other teams from the islands. So I'm glad to see Maritimo doing so well. Yeah, absolutely. The teams from the islands. Good to see Maritimo doing well in Madeira. Uh, over in the Azores, we've got Santa Clara, of course, uh, taking on Benfica, always in a, a fun match due to the similarities in their crests, right? Because we know yeah. Santa Clara started off as kind of a branch of Benfica, um, and that's you know that's why they're so you have such similar um, badges. Santa Clara going up in the 20th minute from a goal from Mohamed Mohebi, um, but Benfica turning it around and winning via a brace and quick succession from Darwin Nunes. Um, so overall, I thought Santa Clara did very well, considering the fact that two of their most creative players, Lincoln and Crisan, were out suspended uh, from last week's 2-2 draw against Gil Vicente. Talk to me a little bit about, about this match. What did you make of it? Yeah, I was doing commentary on this game and like you, I was very impressed with Santa Clara. Funnily enough, before the game happened, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who likes to have a little bet on matches from time to time and I said to him, I think you should back Benfica in this game for the exact reason that you pointed out that uh, Lincoln and, and Cuisam were out. I just didn't see goals in Santa Clara at all. Um, so when they took the lead through uh, Mohamed Moebi, uh, another Iranian again on the score sheet this week, um, that was a, a, a bit of a shock to Benfica. It was against the run of play, but a great counter-attack goal, and he took it really well. Um, so one nil up at half time, and I thought, you know, Benfica left the field to a chorus of whistles and jeers and stuff, and I thought, this, they, you know, they're they're, they're going to need a big second half here. But Darwin Nunes um, 
came good for them. Uh, it was a silly penalty. Um, Mikel Villanueva, a clumsy challenge in the area, completely unnecessary. Rafa Silva was running away from the goal at the time and he just clipped the back of his leg. A definite penalty, but a, a silly one to give away. And Darwin took it very well, obviously. Um, and two minutes later, he gets a second goal and Benfica have turned it around completely. And Darwin Nunes has been... I mean, it goes without saying almost. He's been so important for Benfica this season. 18 goals now in 18 matches. Uh, when you compare that, like six goals last season in 29, you know, what a difference. Um, and when he wasn't there, you know, he was away on international duty. Um, they lost to Gilles They lost in the Tasa de Liga against Sporting. And then when he came back, he got injured. Uh, and then they lost against Porto when he wasn't available for that game in, at the end of December. So, is he vital to Benfica at the moment? Absolutely uh, vital to them. Um, and it's not just his goals. I, one of the things I noticed uh, doing the match the other night, his work rate is phenomenal. Um, he's chasing fullbacks out to the corner, hassling and harrying for possession. Um, you know, uh, in midfield, he's getting back. He's, he's just everywhere. He's working really hard. He's a great example. If there were any... Um, young kids watching who want to see how you should play a centre forward. Well, then Darwin Nunes at the moment is giving them a, a, an absolute example of what you should do. His finishing has been excellent, but his work rate has been excellent as well. And, and he kind of got Benfica out of jail a bit the other night. Um, and Two wins in a week for them, you know, after beating Tondela. And with the draw between Porto and Sporting, suddenly Benfica made a little bit of ground on both of them. So it was a very good week uh, in the end for Benfica. And... Uh, Obviously, an away match against Boavista next is going to be an important one that they keep that run going before they play Ajax in the Champions League. Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, Darwin Nunes uh, has really been at Benfica's get-out-of-jail-free card on so many matches this season. Yeah. I really do think that he's, he's one of the most underrated players in Portugal because, frankly, I mean, he did struggle last season. But Benfica fans, I feel a lot of them have been very harsh with Darwin, considering the fact that, you know, last season he was adapting to the league. Uh, and I think that he's been judged too much on his price tag, which, as we remember, was a record fee. Yeah. And again, Benfica also spent a ton of money on the likes of, you know, Pedrinho, Luca Waldschmidt, uh, players who haven't really, you know, who didn't deliver. Uh, yeah. Darwin has been... I think is one of the few Benfica players who can play for a better team. You know, there's a lot of bad players on this team, but uh, <laughs> like comparing it, comparing him to a guy like Gonzalo Ramos, right. Who, who I, I think is a very good talent. Mm. Like Gonzalo has not done anywhere near what Darwin has done. And yet Benfica fans will ridiculously hype Gonzalo or Paulo Bernardo up because they're from the Seychelles Academy, whereas, you know, completely denigrating Darwin because he doesn't have technique or whatever, which I think is just absolutely ridiculous. It's just another case of them, you know, overhyping their youth talents, which as we've seen so many of those guys that they've, you know, paraded out to be, you know, the next big thing, Ferro, Jensen Fernandes, uh, Florentino yes. Luis, what have they done? You know, I like yeah. them. I hope they do well. But Darwin has actually be, has actually been a success. Um, so you know, if you're a Benfica fan who's constantly criticizing Darwin because 
you know, your team can't compete with Porto or Sporting or because he costs too much money. Honestly, you just need to have a, a have a look in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. And I think those voices aren't as loud now as yeah. maybe they might have been a few months ago, you know, because he, he is delivering. And, um, you know, he got the Man of the Match award the other night. Um, and I think that's not the first time that this happened uh, this season. I think the biggest problem for Benfica at the moment, well, they have a few problems, but I, I think one area where they need to um, look at is right back. Um, because when Andre Almeida got injured last season and was out for the, virtually the entirety of the season, Gilberto came in and I, I don't rate him that highly. I don't think he's a good enough crosser of the ball. Um, he doesn't add to their attack the way Andre Almeida did. And then they brought in Lazaro and he's decent, you know, but I don't think, again, he's as good going forward as Andre Almeida was. And obviously Almeida is back on the scene now, but he's in and out of the team. He's, he's, he's still a little bit of a fringe um, figure. I suppose he's getting on a bit. Um, so I think that's an area that if they had a Pedro Porro uh, playing at right back for them or even a Ricardo Esgallo, who's very good going forward, I think that would give them a huge, because you've got Grimaldo on the left-hand side who's involved in so many of their goals, but they're not getting the same sort of supply from the right-hand side. And um, maybe, I mean, who am I to tell Nelson Verissimo how to do right. his job? But I think it's one area that they, they might need to look at. I completely agree. I mean, I think that Benfica, their right-back, they have, I think, four right-backs in the squad. Yogo Gonçalves, Valentino Lazaro, Gilberto Andre Almeida. For me, none of them have the quality of a Joao Mario or Pedro Porro. Um, so I definitely think there's there's potential for an upgrade to be brought in. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that there's an argument to be made that their their right back is, is not even as good as what Braga or Gil Vicente have. Um, yeah. but, so I, That's interesting you should say Gil Vicente because he's the one I picked out. Um, in my mind, I, when I saw Zay Carlos playing for right. Gil Vicente, I thought that guy... He's, he's the right age profile. He's really dangerous going forward. And he was the one, I, I thought, he could be the one that, that would do the job for them. 